you have to exhaust your ineligible dividends first. And once you've been taxed at a higher ineligible rate, then any other dividends uh, that you receive are lightly taxed as eligible dividends. If Dr. Tran was to take the dividend route and 100% dividend, so let's just say 500,000 out of that 500,000, I now have to pay the 12.2% tax. Whatever's left, Dr. Tran, let's say take 200. So the 500 gets taxed, whatever is left is the retained earnings, and then Dr. Tran can take out the 200. Uh, the problem is that doing that, using this approach, especially in the context of creating capital from retirement, exposes the doctor, the physician, or whoever, to four different taxes. Today, we're going to be talking a topic that is relevant to a lot of us. And I mean a lot of us. I constantly hear my colleagues saying, oh, my accountant told me to take dividend only from my corporation and leave the rest as a retained earning. So uh, is this a good solution? What is a good solution? Is it take salary only or is it to take a blend of both? Well, you'll see at the end what my opinion and what the opinion from our guest is. But if you are taking dividends only, you must need to know the pros of it and the cons of it. And unfortunately, there is a lot of negatives in taking dividend only. And so we will dive into this topic very, very soon and in depth. So I'm hoping you enjoy this episode with our guest. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Okay, everyone, welcome back to How is My Financial Health, Doc Podcast, and I'm your host, Vuket Tran. Today, we're going to be talking to a dear friend of mine, uh, Mr. JP Laporte. And uh, JP, as you have heard him before in my previous podcast, is a pension lawyer. JP is the CEO of Integris Pension Management. Uh, and uh, JP is a lawyer. Uh, he is a pension lawyer. That's all he does. Actually, if I ask him questions about criminal law, I think he just turned me around because I don't know anything about criminal law. I know everything about pension law. So Let's chat about that. Uh, <laughs> JP has lots of experience uh, in pension law. He's worked with one, uh, many of the major law firms out there, especially on Bay Street. And in his previous life, JP was um, helping big companies and big corporations uh, design um, big pensions for a lot of the employees of these organizations. So. Uh, JP has lots of experience in pension law. Today, we've uh, invited JP back to discussion again because I wanted to 
talk about one specific topic, and that's the topic of dividends only uh, when we take it out of our corporation. So we're going to dive into that a bit later. But let me begin by welcoming JP back to the show. JP, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be back. Thank you very much for coming back and helping us with this question. Here's why I uh, invited you back today to have this discussion. Not too long ago, I had dinner with a colleague of mine. Let's call him Dr. Smith to protect the identity of the victim here. I call him a victim, but really it's just a friend. <laughs> so call, let's call him Dr. Joe Smith. So I'm talking to Dr. Joe Smith. And as you know, I do I do financial type of literacy uh, education. And as we, we were chatting about you know what he does with his corporation, how he takes money out, whether he takes a salary or he takes a dividend. And uh, he tells me that he's been taking dividends only. And so just a disclosure to everyone, as you guys already know from my podcast, that I am the uh, president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, which is the first pension plan for physicians across Canada. And as I'm talking to him about taking dividends and salary, I realize one thing, which is a, a major thing, is that if he takes dividends only, uh, Dr. Joe Smith will not be able to do a pension plan, uh, at least uh, not to the full extent that, that we could do for him, and he cannot buy, he cannot purchase past service. So that was one of the limitations of taking a dividend. And since we have with us today, JP, a pension lawyer, I wanted to address that question of dividends only. So this is what Dr. Joe Smith was doing. I would like to understand from your perspective, JP, from the from the pension perspective and also from a legal perspective, is this the most efficient way of taking uh, income or taking money out of a corporation, a professional corporation in this instance? Yeah, it definitely isn't. Unfortunately, in Canada, a lot of accountants have been telling their professional clients to take no salary, no T4 income out of their corporation, and to only take dividends. And I know I can understand sort of the appeal of going all dividends. One of them is simplicity. Another one is that um, if in a given year, the physician doesn't want to pull as much money out, they don't have to declare a dividend. They can keep the money in the corporation. Uh, the problem is that doing that, using this approach, especially in the context of creating capital for retirement, exposes the doctor, the physician, or whoever, to four different taxes. Four taxes when really that same physician could only expose him or herself to a single tax. It is important to restate that again. Four taxes when really that same physician could only expose him or herself to a single tax. So let me let me unpack this a little bit. If I'm a doctor and I have a medical professional corporation and OHIP pays my corporation, I don't know, half a million dollars. And I once I paid my staff and I paid all my expenses, I still have three hundred thousand dollars that I can either keep in the company after I pay corporate taxes or 
payout in the form of a, uh, a salary or a bonus? Well, the problem is you're facing tax number one, which is the tax on active business income. So the medical corporation now has to pay tax, uh, depending on how much there is to tax, between in Ontario 12.2%, or if you exceed $500,000, you're going at 26.5%. So the worst case scenario, over a quarter of that money earned disappears with tax number one. Then if you're not pulling the money out and you're, you're keeping it in the corporation and you're investing it in a non-registered taxable corporate investment account, let's say you buy stocks with it, as those stocks mature and you sell them, declare capital uh, dividends, capital gains, then the corporation has to pay tax again. That's tax number two. If you have too much passive income building up inside your corporation. And we all know about the more no measures that came in 2018, where the government said, well, it's okay if you have passive income, but not more than $50,000. After that, if you earn an extra dollar of passive income, you lose $5 of your $500,000 small business allowance. So instead of being taxed at 12.2% on active business, you're now going to be taxed at 26.5% on that extra dollar, on those five extra dollars, sorry. So really what happens is because you've got too much passive income, you're taxed a third time in the sense that your active business jumps from 12.2 to 26.5%. That's a 117% increase in corporate taxation just because you have too much passive income. So that's tax number three. And now the doctor finally decides to pull some money out because it's corporate money it has to go into his jeans or her jeans first before she can spend that money or he can spend that money. So we declare a dividend and that dividend is taxed in the hands of the physician. So now we're up to tax number four. So that's, that's the way a lot of physicians are doing things because they've been told, oh, you know, just keep the money in the company. If you don't need it, don't pay any tax on it. Don't declare a salary. Just keep it in the company. But the tax authorities are not stupid. They know that they have to maintain the principle of tax integration. So if you keep too much money in the corporation, when you pull out dividends, especially if the corporation paid the small business tax rate, those are considered non-eligible dividends, dividends, and they're taxed at a higher rate than they used to. This is worth listening to again one more time. When you pull out dividends, especially if the corporation paid the small business tax rate, those are considered non-eligible dividends and they're taxed at a higher rate than they used to. So at the end of the day, the physician is not winning at all. And that's the problem is that this is a highly inefficient way of building up capital for retirement. Instead, what the physician should consider is not pay tax number one, not pay tax number two on growth. Don't expose your money to the tax on passive income and only pay tax personally years into the future, and only on what you pull out, not on the capital. And this is done by using a pension plan. The way that most physicians are doing it exposes them to four taxes. The way that physicians that maybe have done a bit more research can do it through a pension plan is expose themselves to one tax. So you tell me who's going to end up with more money at the end. Well, I, I don't think I need to do the math. I mean, I'm, I hope smart enough to understand that if I pay one tax is better than paying four taxes and I got more money working for me and more money in motion. 
And so paying less amount of taxes, probably the better to reduce that grind. Now, I I want to address a, a few things because you've said many things there and I want to unpack it slowly so that we all understand. Let's talk about, you mentioned the word tax integration and that's in relation to the dividends. So what did you mean by that? Why in the past accountants would say, you know what, Dr. Smith, you should take dividends only because there was a preferential tax treatment. But now you say there's a tax integration. I'm assuming you're you're saying that, you know, the the authorities are are, are watching this and say we're gonna we're gonna integrate things together so that the dividends no longer gets a preferential tax treatment. What does that mean? When did that happen? Let's unpack that first. Yeah. So the concept of tax integration goes back to when the Income Tax Act was re redone or republished back after the Carter Commission. So it goes back to 1971. And the idea all along was that you should be taxed the same level of overall taxation, whether you're an employee and you're collecting a salary and you're exposed to graduated personal tax brackets, or if you're a business person and you have a corporation and your corporation has to pay tax, and then you as the employee or shareholder when you add the personal tax with the corporate tax, the overall level of taxation is roughly equivalent to what you would have paid had you been an employee alone. So a lot of people don't know that, and they think that the only tax they're going to pay is the small business tax on the first $500,000 of corporate income, because there's no immediate tax if they keep the money in the corporation. So they're they're deluding themselves into thinking that they really beat the system. You know, everyone else that's taking a salary is paying 53.5% tax, and they, the smart ones, are only paying 12.2% because they're not declaring a dividend, they're not taking a salary. So there's no other tax besides the 12.2% paid by the corporation. Fortunately for them, the system doesn't work that way. And the government has decided that taxes should be integrated. So back in before January 1st, 2014, when you crunched the numbers across the country, in most provinces, there was a slight advantage to paying the low uh, corporate tax rate plus tax on the dividend versus paying tax on the salary. Uh, but when uh, 2014 rolled around, the conservative government under Stephen Harper and uh, Mr. Flaherty uh, changed the laws. And after January 1st, 2014, because they've introduced the concept of non-eligible dividends that are subjected to a higher level of tax, this advantage, even though it was tiny, there's only a few percent in some provinces, sometimes a fraction of a percent in most provinces, that let's call the dividend, dividend advantage disappeared for uh, virtually every province. Unfortunately, a lot of accountants, I guess, haven't read the memo yet. And, you know, this has been 2014. It's been a few years now. And they're still telling their clients to just do 100% dividends. So they're actually not helping their clients at all from a pure tax planning perspective. But that's not the only problem. If the world was just, do I take a salary? Do I take a dividend? Then, you know, a few percentage points each way might become what helps you determine what to do. 
But the problem is if you do 100% dividend, you're completely shutting the door on all the tax deductions that come with a pension plan, past service, current service, special payments, terminal funding. This could be millions of dollars of tax deductions that you're no longer being able to access because you have the wrong type of compensation coming out of your medical professional corporation. It's not just looking at the percentages at the margin. You have to look broader at the big picture and realize that you're really shooting yourself in the foot by going with a 100% dividend approach. Well, this is a clear example of what we call seeing the tree, but not the forest, or in another way, being uh, penny wise, but pound foolish. I think we've mentioned these type of sentences many times before. And, you know, from a from a conceptual perspective, what you're saying is uh, it's not taking into account the opportunity cost, right? So by by saving on that maybe fraction of a percent or one percent, you are now foregoing all the opportunities in the future of all those other tax savings that you mentioned about in the pension. Now, I want to come back to the idea of eligible dividends. You mentioned that a few times. Can you help clarify what that really meant? So if your medical professional corporation only has enough income that's taxable to fit under the $500,000 small business allowance, it, in Ontario right now, it's paying tax at 12.2%. 12.2% leaves, goes to the government. The rest are called retained earnings. So if you take some of those retained earnings and you declare a dividend to put that money in your own genes, those are called ineligible, non-eligible dividends. Whereas if you were taxed at a higher rate, if your corporation was taxed at the 26.5% normal rate for active business income, then once you've paid the higher corporate tax, whatever retained earnings are left behind to pay a dividend, those are called eligible dividends. So they're not taxed as highly as the ineligible dividends that come from a corporation that's benefiting from the small business deduction rate. So that's the, the sort of differential uh, treatment that the government imposes. And it kind of makes sense because if your corporation benefited from a lower tax rate, it would be unfair if you then declare a dividend and the dividend was also taxed at a low, at a low rate, right? It would create an artificial incentive to never take a salary. And this would fly in the face of tax integration. So the government has decided in its wisdom that there would be this higher taxation for non-eligible or ineligible dividends coming from retained earnings of corporations that are taxed at the low, lower uh, business rate. So help me understand this a little bit. So if I, as a physician, and I'm making less than 500, uh, my corporation is paying the lower tax at 12.2%. Are you saying that for any physician who's making less than 500, who's in that tax range, every single dividend that they're taking out is considered ineligible dividend? That, that's correct. And so physicians who are making above the 500, so let's just give an example, 750. Um, in that example, the 250 is taxed at 26.5%. The first 500 is taxed at 12.2%. 
but the dividends that they take out, whatever amount that is, is it is it taxed on a a lower uh, rate there because it's now an eligible dividend? Am I understanding this correctly? Well, on the first five months, if, if again, when I say physician, I mean the physician, the, the corporation, not the actual physician. Correct, correct. So if the corporation uh, is got seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of taxable income, so this not in, this this assumes you've already paid your staff your rent. It's just what's taxable on the tax return of the company. The first five hundred thousand dollars will benefit from a 12.2% corporate tax rate. The remainder, the $250,000 that's above this limit is taxed at 26.5%. So you're gonna have retained earnings. Some of your retained earnings are what's left after you paid 26% and some are what's left after the company paid 12.2%. Correct. So if the uh, physician decides to pay Dividends, the the and let's say they pay a hundred thousand dollars dividends. You're going to be these hundred thousand dollars would be ineligible dividends because you have a lot more uh, retained earnings that were that are the result of a lower tax rate than you do benefiting or not benefiting but exposed to the higher tax rate. Got it. Got it. So let me bring this concept a bit further into the extreme here, just, just so that I understand the concept. So let's assume that the physician has a $1 million taxable income. So 500 will be taxed at 12.2. The other 500 will be taxed at 26.5. And now he's deciding, I want to take 200 in dividends because that's what I need to live on. How will those 200 dividends be considered? Will they be considered eligible or would they be considered ineligible? Or how to, does that get prorated? You have to exhaust your ineligible dividends first. And once you've been taxed at a higher ineligible rate, then any other dividends uh, that you receive are lightly taxed as eligible dividends. Got it. So that makes sense to me. Um, so what that means that even in this example, of a $1 million taxable income, the dividends that being paid into the personal hands of the physician, this dividend is still gonna be considered ineligible and taxed at a higher rate than the eligible dividends then? Well, depending on the ratio, but yes, you, you, you because your corporation benefited on the first $500,000 of corporate taxable income from the low business tax rate, the retained earnings attributable to that are what's left after you pay the tax. Those retained earnings paid out in the form of a dividend are subject are ineligible dividends. So another argument that I've heard in the past, and, and I hear of this very, very often on LinkedIn and on other social media, is that by taking dividend only and not by taking a salary, the corporation does not have to contribute to CPP. And yes. so by not contributing to CPP, the corporation is saving in somewhere in the amounts of about 6,000 to 6,500. 
And the argument is if I take that 6,000 or 6,500 and I put it into an investment, it grows at 5% over the next 30 years, it's a significant amount of change. And so that's the argument for not taking a salary and taking dividends only. What are your thoughts about that? Well, again, this is complete rubbish because while it's true that the premiums that the corporation would have given to the CPP investment board could be invested in an RSP, for example, to maintain the tax sheltered nature uh, of, of uh, the, the, the CPP. All the modeling that I've seen done by actuaries suggests that in order to match the rate of return that this defined benefit pension CPP provides in retirement, you'd have to find, and this was years ago when, when GIC rates were in the 1% range, you'd have to find a 4.6% 20-year-long GIC in order just to match uh, what the CPP was generating by way of returns. And at the time, it was impossible. Like nobody in the world provided that kind of a safe, regular investment option, which means, which when I put two and two together, which means that it is impossible to do better without taking any risks. Of course, anybody can take risks and lose it all. But talking without taking an ounce of risk, it was impossible when we did the, the modeling to beat the CPP investment board in terms of the guaranteed returns that a CPP pension prov provides. So for people who say, well, I can do just as good or better, they just don't know. They don't understand that the only way that they could beat it is by taking extra risk. And if you take extra risk, there's a possibility that you could lose it all, which nobody wants. To make that claim is completely ludicrous. Well, the people making that claim obviously is very much focused on dividends only, and those are the arguments that they're using. However, we, we both understand that those arguments really don't stand on any legs at all. They sound good on the surface. On the back of an envelope, they sound convincing. But when you look underneath, when you look at the law, you look at the math, you look at the actual science behind it, you, you do the projections, you realize that doesn't stand. It doesn't work. And that's the problem is that so many people love the quick shortcut. It helps them make decisions all the time. And, you know, most of the time it works okay. But when it comes to these complex financial models, uh, that's just not how reality works, unfortunately. I, I agree. I mean, reality is the market goes up and down. There are risks associated with that. And trying to make a, what did you say, 4.6%? 4.6% guaranteed with yeah. no risk yeah. is impossible to do in the market over a long extended period of time. That's, that's what we're trying to say. Okay, so we've talked about dividends. We've talked about why people are, are saying what they're saying. And what, what you're saying is I, that's one strategy. But by using this strategy, we're being um, penny-wise, pound-foolish because there are opportunities that we cannot obtain by taking the strategy. One of them is not being able to do an RSP if we choose to do an RSP because there's no salary to go with that. 
And two, if I wanted to buy a house and go to a bank and get a mortgage, it would be uh, quite challenging because there I have no T4 to show and no salary to show. That's another issue that uh, may be a problem. And if I can't get a mortgage at a uh, um, A bank, I may have to go to a B bank or even a, a C bank or maybe a loan shark and uh, <laughs> and risk and risk um, the interest that way. And so there are definitely um, opportunity costs that uh, we did not entertain by taking a dividends only strategy. Any any final thoughts about the dividends before we jump into the four taxes that you mentioned earlier? Well, just one last thing about CPP. The other argument that's levied against it is that it's a Ponzi scheme. There won't be any money if you put money into it now. It's, you know, in two, five, ten years, it'll be empty. And, you know, why would you do that? You know, when I read the chief actuary of Canada's report on the sustainability of the CPP, you know, they come out every few years. They are projecting at least a 75-year sustainability period for it. So again, there's a disconnect between what the talking heads on social media are saying to prove their point that try to steer people into one course of action and the actuarial mathematical facts that are uh, in the result of very uh, rigorous studies by professionals. And they're saying the CPP is on a solid footing for at least 75 years into the future. That does sound, That doesn't sound like a a Ponzi scheme that's going to collapse next year to me, but yet people either they don't know or they they filter out any facts because it conflicts with their view. Thank you for sharing that. That's a new piece of information that I didn't know. And I just want to make sure the audience know what we're talking about. When we're talking about CPP, we're talking about the Canadian pension plan, which is a very robust pension plan and also very well managed by very, very smart people. Uh, definitely not by Vuka Tran and uh, a bunch of people sitting together with a, with a few beers. These are actuaries, these are investment um, experts who have been doing this for quite a bit of time, I understand. Yep, well, since at least 1999. So now let's come back to the question of the four taxes. You mentioned that earlier, and we kind of talked about it very in summary. Now, whether I take a dividend as a physician, so I'm Vuketran as a physician, I can take dividend or I can take salary or I can take a blend of both. In either, in all of these solutions, am I still subject to these four taxes? Or are there scenarios where I don't have to subject myself to these four taxes? And of course, one of them is by doing a pension plan uh, will eliminate some of these taxes. But in terms of taking the money out of the corporation, where there's salary dividend, does that change or impact the, the presence or absence of these four taxes? Yeah, so let's break it down by taxes. So tax number one is the active business income tax paid by the medical corporation. And a dividend, by nature, a dividend implies after-tax money. You can't pay a dividend with pre-tax money. First, a corporation has to pay its taxes to create what are called retained earnings. And then some or all of those retained earnings can be paid to you as a dividend as a shareholder. But first, you have to pay the corporate tax. If you use salaries 
salaries are pre-tax deduction, just like contributions to pension plans. So if you take a lot of the corporation's pre-tax income and right away pay it in the form of a salary, then you're reducing the amount of corporate income that's subject to tax, to that first tax. So in the extreme case of someone who pays 100% of the taxable corporate income in the form of a salary, there would be no tax number one. There'd be a heck of a lot of personal tax because you're getting everything through the salary, but tax number one wouldn't apply. But every time there's a dividend, there has to be corporate tax paid first because a dividend by nature, by definition, is an after-tax payment. So let me just unpack that a little bit. I'm going to use some numbers just to illustrate the point. Uh, assuming Dr. Tran makes a half a million, so 500000 If Dr. Tran was to take the dividend route and 100% dividend, so let's just say 500000 Out of that 500000 I now have to pay the 12.2% tax. Whatever's left, Dr. Tran, let's say take 200. So the 500 gets taxed. Whatever is left is the retained earnings. And then Dr. Tran can take out the 200. That's in a dividend solution only. What you're saying to me is if I did salary only, and I'm just going to keep it pure and simple, I, I made the same 500, but I'm taking the same 200 out. What you're saying to me is it's going to be the, the, the taxes for my corporation is not 500, but the taxes for my corporation is 500 minus 200. So the taxable income is 300 and the 12.2% is applied on the 300 as opposed to being applied on the 500. Am I, am I understanding this correctly? You are bang on. That's exactly how it works. Perfect. So that's tax number one. Okay. Let's talk about tax number two. So if you haven't in your example, taken all of that retained earnings in the form of a dividend and you've kept some in the corporation's non-tax, non, or non-registered, sorry, taxable investment account to grow that money. Now, that income, let's say it's uh, interest income or dividend income, foreign dividend income, interest income, uh, let's say, for example, if the corporation were to invest in GICs or, or capital gains, that income is not active business income anymore. It's passive corporate investment income. So it's not taxed at 12.2%. Tax number two is going to be much higher. In fact, in the worst case scenario, if the income that the corporation is earning through its investment activities is interest income or foreign dividend income, the corporate tax rate is not 12.2, it's 50.2. So half the value that your medical professional corporation generated by investing those retained earnings is gone. It leaves the system, it goes to CRA. And, but this is where it gets even more complicated. If you have too much of this passive income, then what happens is even the active business income, OHIP money that's coming into the MPC, that normally on the first 500,000 would only be taxed at 12.2. If you have too much passive income from other activities, you're no longer going to be taxed at 12.2, you're going to be taxed at 26.5, which is the 117% increase in the tax burden on active business. Forget about the passive income that's already taxed at 50.2 or maybe lower if it's capital gains or Canadian dividends. So you're, you're, you're now taxed a third time on your active business. So you're, you've, you've, all you're doing is bleeding money in the form of taxes. And it's still, you haven't got the right to spend it yet because it's not in your pockets. 
This is all corporate money. You pay right. once, you pay again, and then you pay again. And then you're going to pay a fourth time when you declare a dividend. In this second and third tax that we're talking about, whether I take a dividend or a salary, does it impact this second and third tax? Or it's regardless of salary or dividend? The investment tax, let's call it tax number two, mm. is generated when the company earns the income. So instead of getting money from OHIP, it has its own independent source of revenue from its investment activity. Correct. So, But it's not at 12.2, it's at, depending on what it is, could be as high as 50.2. Correct. If you then decide to pay yourself a dividend out of that, then you're going to have a personal tax to pay, which is tax number four. Correct. Right? So At the personal level. So for tax number two and tax number three that we just mentioned, we've regardless of the name we're giving it, whether I take dividend or I take salary does not impact that. What will impact is tax number four, which we now will dive into. Yeah. But for, for the first tax that we talked about, taking dividends absolutely impacts that for sure, as we talked well, about before. You will have tax if you're taking, taking dividends because by definition, a dividend is retained earnings once the corporation has paid, paid taxes. Correct. So tax number four is the personal tax, which is graduated tax brackets. Now, there is this complexity, I won't get into it tonight, of RDTOH, return on dividend and tax and all that stuff. There's, a, there's an adjustment mechanism. You have to gross up and create a credit and to figure out what to declare on your personal tax return when you're getting a dividend but regardless you're still paying tax the fourth in the in the fourth instance when you're pulling out the money so it's not like you're getting this tax free because the company has paid taxes you still have to declare personal tax and your explanation is that after 2014 within the tax integration the difference that you pay in in the personal hands, whether it's dividend or salary, the difference is minimal, minimal. It, it's actually slightly in favor of salaries. Oh, interesting. I did not know. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. I thought it was in favor of dividend, but you're saying it, it's not. It, it used to be prior to 2014. Okay. In 2014, with the legislative changes, flipped the balance in favor of taking what I call modest salaries. Because, of course, if you declare million dollar salaries, then it, you're, you, you know, you're not helping yourself, right? Because you're exposing too much money at the highest tax bracket. But if you're taking modest salary, given the graduated basis of taxation for individuals, and when I say modest, I say usually below $150,000 a salary, you're actually better off mathematically with a salary than uh, the combination of corporate tax and personal dividend tax. Interesting. Okay. So in in your in your description right now, uh, a modest salary is about 150 or below that. But to max out your eligibility for CPP, the magic number is what uh, currently? I think it's around 58,000 or something. 58,000. So so <laughs> if if we're taking if we're taking the 150, uh, let's say 140. So just just so that we're staying below the 150. If we're taking 140 out as salary, then we may potentially be hitting that um, that sweet spot in terms of the salary being a better 
tax than dividend. But at the same time, we have met our CPP uh, eligibility and we were able to max it out. Yeah. And at the same time, we're also like, should I choose to do an RSP that I've also built enough room for me to max out my RSP room? So by taking a salary, I actually have uh, three benefits here. Am I correct? Yeah, CPP premiums, which gives you an extra pension. You have you're reducing the corporate tax because it's a pre-tax deduction yep. for the corporation for tax number one, and you're building up RSP or even better pension contribution. Right. Interesting. Very very interesting. So very different from what I see on LinkedIn or from what I see on different social media outlets. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why. I uh, I thought that this was uh, I was glad to accept your invitation because there's so much misinformation out there and people like the shortcuts they like the quick we call them heuristics where you don't have to think you just say oh yeah let's do that often they're doing it to their own detriment like I had uh, an advisor uh, who said to me well I don't want to contribute to the pension plan using uh, retained earnings that are being invested in the corporation's uh, investment account. Because if I sell those shares in order to generate cash to put into the pension plan, I'm going to expose my client's corporation to all kinds of high taxation. And of course, on the surface, if you hear that, it makes perfect sense. Oh, of course, if you sell shares in your investment account, the corporation is going to have to pay tax. And we know how high that can be. But that's not how the system works. because if you sell shares, you're sure you're going to have a taxable event. But the very same day, you're taking that money and dropping into the pension plan. So the pension plan gives you an offsetting corporate tax deduction that eliminates the tax altogether. So it's tax neutral. So that's the first thing. And the same advisor said to me, well, I'd rather if I, okay, I forgot about that. Good point. So there's no tax. Okay, but I'd rather transfer the shares in kind because you know, I, I, I just don't want to have to buy and sell them and then buy the same securities as the next day or the same day. And it's, you know, there's going to be all kinds of paperwork. I said, well, that might be good for you, but it's certainly not good for your client. Because if you don't sell their shares, you're not going to crystallize any capital dividends account credits. And CDAs, capital dividend account credits, Allow your client to pull money tax-free. You want a dividend? How about a dividend that's tax-free? And the reason why you have a CDA credit is because only 50% of the capital gain is taxable in the first place. So why would you deprive your client of tax-free dividends just because you don't want to do the paperwork of selling securities, transferring the money, and then rebuying those same securities at the same price? And then he says, oh, I forgot about that too. Well, you are just going to tell the client not to contribute to the pension plan because it's taxable. And then you are going to induce them in error and deprive them of tax-free dividends in the future. So he goes, ooh, yeah, oh, sorry. I mean, this is on the back of the envelope, it sounds right. Oh yeah, who would want to sell security to not have tax? But when you look at the law, when you look at how it works, no tax plus CDAs, tax-free dividends. It's this kind of stuff that I hear all the time that just, you know, I shake my head. Well, this is, a clear example of suitable advice, but really not best interest advice for the client or the physician. I don't think they're trying to be 
uh, this thing, I think they just either they don't know or they don't care to do a rigorous analysis and go to the bottom of things because it's too much work. They're not getting paid for it. And they just go with quick, quick, quick. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want to do that. That's going to be, you know, trouble. It's right. not that they're, they're trying to mislead people. Often it's just lack of knowledge. And because the business owner trusts these advisors or these accountants, they follow their trusted advisors. But if their trusted advisors are uh, lackadaisical when it comes to analyzing what happens, then the client suffers. And, uh, you know, the, the client really, you know, doesn't know any better. Absolutely. And, and the clients in this example, or at least in my example, are my physician colleagues, myself, uh, because we, uh, we uh, as in, you know, professionals in the healthcare industry are definitely not experts in accounting and definitely not experts in finance. So we do rely on these experts to help us. But if these experts are not at the top of the game, then the the person end up suffering is us. Um, good point. I want to wrap this up by, you know, putting this thought into your mind is that we're talking about dividends and dividends only and the pros and the drawback. But one of the major drawback that we didn't talk about is the fact that we, yeah, we did talk about if you don't do salary, you can't do RRSPs. But the corollary to that is that if you don't do salary, you cannot do a pension. So it's not even a, a conversation starter. So if you're taking dividends only, there is no opportunity to do a pension like there is no opportunity to do an RSP. Now, if you've listened to my podcast long enough, you understand that pensions are much better for high income earners and physicians than RRSP will ever be. And so if you want to do a pension or look into pensions and the different benefits, there are seven more benefits, sorry, six more benefits to the pension than the RSPs. And if you want to tap into that opportunity, doing a dividend only will not allow you to do that. It will, in fact, destroy that opportunity. And so while we said doing a dividend will save you 6500 yes, but it will destroy all opportunities. So what is the opportunity cost of doing dividends only? It is much more than 6500 I guarantee you that. And so please don't do the back of the envelope calculation and go with that. You really need to look at it from a holistic point of view and see what opportunity costs you're foregoing. And we do this a lot, but I caution the audience, please do not be penny wise, pound foolish. Or will we say, seeing the tree, but not the forest. Thank you very much for the discussion about the dividends only and also about the four taxes. I know there's a lot that we can talk about in the pension, how to do the how to how does the pension attack these four taxes uh, and how to uh, minimize the impact and the effect on these uh, four taxes. But this is not the goal nor the focus of this particular conversation. Uh, so I would like to uh, thank you very much for your insight. Very, very Im important what you just said there and definitely debunked a lot of myths, a lot of myths and a lot of misinformation that are, again, not purposeful, 
but nonetheless present in social media. My pleasure. Thank you very much, uh, JP, for your time and your expertise. This is not the first time that I've done this topic of you know how physicians take money out of the corporation. Is it through salary or is it through dividend? I will remind the audience that I did two episodes on this topic in 2022. So the first one was May 15, 2022, and the second one was June 6, 2022. And the episodes are called Great Taste versus Zest Filling, Salary or Dividend. Which camp did your accountant put you in? And that was a discussion with accountant CPA Cherry Chan. And we looked at it from a different angle, but the conclusion was pretty much the same. And at that point, we did not talk about pensions either. And so if you look at it strategically, uh, dividends only strategy, uh, while it's good and saves a bit of money, does preclude you to other future opportunities, such as uh, CPP, RRSP, and now if you don't want to do RSP, pensions. So IPP, PPP, MEPPs. And finally, the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. And the reasons I'm talking about pensions is because pensions are a great tool and solution to deal with the four taxes that JP was talking about. All these pension plans, some way or another, allows a corporation to eliminate two to three of the four taxes. Obviously, the fourth tax, which is the personal tax in the hands of the individual, cannot be eliminated. But possibly two to three of the taxes within the corporation can be solved with proper pension planning. So none of these pension plans are available to individuals or sorry, to corporations that only take dividend only strategy. Bottom line is this, if you do dividends only, none of these opportunities are there for you. And so if you do want to plan for your state and for the future, you cannot do dividends only. So really, in my opinion, it is a penny wise, pound foolish type of strategy. Is total salary the right answer? Most likely not. And if you speak to most CFPs, and strategic accountant and tax accountant right now, the answer teams the answer seems to be leaning towards a blend of salary and dividend. So I hope you like this episode, and uh, if you if it uh, brought you to reflect and think about it, I think uh, this is the the goal of the episodes and these podcasts is to really make sure that you reflect on the decisions that you are making, uh, and I'm talking about financial decisions. And so if you enjoyed this episode and think that this is worthwhile for your colleagues, please share it with your colleagues, your friends, your neighbors, and again, your pet dog. And uh, if you have any feedback or comment, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.
Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.